Hello everyone and welcome to the first Remember a Charity podcast of 2021. I hope you're all safe and well. So for those of you who might not have listened before, this podcast is our platform for bringing together fundraisers and friends from the sector to chat about all things legacies. And we know that there are tons of amazing resources out there for legacy fundraisers at the moment, but we found that we really love doing this podcast because it's so informal and it is a really good chance for you to take a break from your screen. Um, I think especially at the moment when we're going to be working from home for a little while longer. I personally love plugging a podcast and going for a little stroll at lunchtime. So this episode um, is all about legacies in lockdown. So when we entered this current lockdown, I think we all saw that many of our friends and fundraisers were questioning their legacy activities and upcoming plans. So we thought that this would be a great topic for discussion. And I'm delighted that we have four brilliant guests with us today. Um, so do you all want to introduce yourselves and explain briefly what you do? Um, Richard, I'll come to you first. Hello, I'm Richard Radcliffe of Radcliffe Consulting. Um been in the sector years three decades plus uh i do strategies done hundreds of them train anybody to make the art nicely but more importantly for today i do focus groups and meet donors and since uh march in 2020 uh i've met about 550 donors to see their attitudes towards legacies during covid thank you uh victoria so hi, I'm uh, Victoria Fryer and I work at Save the Children where I'm the regional legacy manager for London and the South East. Thanks Victoria and hi Steve. Hi there, yeah, Steve Law uh, from the RNLI. Um, I'm the legacy engagement manager. I've been with the charity for about eight years now in uh, starting off in, in face-to-face and then moving to philanthropy and then I, I took over the legacy engagement team uh, last February with all sorts of exciting ideas which were then uh, I had about a month of, of exciting planning and, and then had to uh, sort of change course quite sharply so it's certainly been a very interesting year and a bit um, in, in the legacy world um, mm-hmm. and hopefully interesting too so that's me. Thanks Steve welcome and last but not least Rachel. Hi I'm Rachel Headley so I'm the legacy and memory fundraiser at St Christopher's Hospice I guess I'm here representing the smallest end of the charity sector. We have a, a kind of average uh, legacy income of about four million, um, which is quite reasonable really. Um, and uh, I've worked for St. Christopher's for just coming up for two years. Um, and like Steve had big plans for last year. Uh, we were just on the verge of relaunching our campaign and then the pandemic happened. So uh, things changed a little bit. Thank you, everyone, and welcome. Um, So I will be asking our lovely guests four questions on your behalf, all exploring the challenges and opportunities for legacy fundraising during the pandemic and the current lockdown. So first question, which I will put to Steve first. um, Reflecting on last year, how did your charity respond to the pandemic with regards to your legacy activities? Oh, what, what a fun first month and a half that was in, in my new job. Um, it, it was an interesting one. So at, at the time, uh, we slightly paused our um, social activity just to kind of see what we, we hadn't been doing that much at, the, at that point anyway. But we'd um, 
we we put the pause on that just to kind of see what the lay of the land was like this was very much you know which direction and, and how fast is this pandemic going to grow at the time and so we wanted to take a moment of a couple of weeks to pause on my side of things in the engagement team we had all sorts of events planned we had lots of of, of things that we wanted to do um but we felt very quickly as the lockdown came into force that uh the best thing that we could do was just pick up the phone to as many people as we possibly could. It was a time at the RNLI when a lot of teams were either on furlough or were kind of in crisis management time. So they had their, their heads down focusing on their area of work. And so a lot of, you know, if we wanted to do anything, we had to do it ourselves um, without kind of calling on colleagues in different teams. And so we had a spreadsheet the coolest and we had our phone and we said right for however long we feel is appropriate we're just going to get on the phone to as many people as we possibly could um the calls were care calls first and foremost and, and only in fact there was no ask there was no script in fact other than us sort of sharing ideas of, of what's working well uh, and because it took about a day to make this decision um and we did it in a few waves calling first the 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 existing pledges who we have a relationship with, you know, the sorts who we, we know the name of their cat um, and, and have those kind of conversations first. And then we rolled out to, to more of our pledges as well. Um, we had no legacy introduction either. I think it is worth mentioning these. We were calling as Steve from the RNLI um, and just calling for a, for a bit of a chat. Um, if challenged, we, we wanted to make it clear that, you know, we weren't um, just calling around just legacy pledges, you know, to, to avoid any of that that potential um, image risk that I think some charities were concerned about because we were calling around everybody. Uh, we were calling around our crews. We were calling around many of our long-term supporters. We were calling around all of our volunteers. And it just so happened that we as a legacy-focused team were calling around our, our legacy supporters. Um and we, we had some really good results from that. So of the people that we, we tried to call, half of them picked up, which is, I don't have a background uh, in, in outbound calling, but that's higher than what I've experienced before um, because everybody's at home. Um, and so uh, our, our kind of um, cost per call in terms of the time we spent was was good. Um, but 12% of the calls that we, we made uh, were we, we sort of tracked as very positive calls and that was really where we had some really lovely conversations with supporters who either without prompting without us even mentioning legacies mentioned their legacy or sort of told us they've increased their gift since um, or we had some quite sad calls with people who'd lost family recently lost friends hadn't spoken to anybody in weeks um, were in really sort of difficult positions and so we really positioned ourselves as you know we were there to look after the people who've looked after us in their wills um, and it, it felt very much like the right thing to do so that that was our kind of our, our main pivot at the at the time last year um, and led on to lots of other rolling conversations since as we can eventually sort of do a little bit more throughout the year so yeah I don't know if, if anybody else has anything can I can I jump in there because that's just triggered off lots of um, interesting thoughts I think uh, there was, of course, the initial kind of pandemic, what on earth is going to happen moment. And we were about to go into our 
March Will Week. So we actually continued with the Will Week activity, but we really scaled down any kind of promotion of it because we recognised that actually people were very conscious of needing to make a will. Um, we needed to make that, we needed to facilitate that um, carefully for them. And also partly because our messaging for the March Will Week was completely inappropriate. Luckily, when we got to September, uh, we'd used this wonderful picture of this, this old lady bouncing on a trampoline, which mm. said life can be full of ups and downs. And when we got to September, actually it felt right to use that. So we changed the dates and rolled it out for our September Will Week. So, so that was one kind of change, which was well, sort of fitted quite well. One of the things I think, if we look back on the whole of last year, is that actually it has presented some really good opportunities for us to test things in a different way. As a small charity, I think um, we tend to be, we tended to have been quite focused on everybody being on site. So all of those volunteers coming in and out of a hospice site, all of those staff being on site. What, um, what the pandemic has taught everybody is how, uh, how possible it is to work from home. Um, and how, you know, we, we all know that people over the age of 70, 80, 90 have got to grips with Zoom in a way that possibly before the pandemic, we all thought, well, those people won't engage in a, in a virtual platform, but actually they do, they do, and they do it very effectively. So, um, so that's blown that myth out of the water. And I think the other thing that it, it gave us the opportunity to do is, for example, we have a Founders Day activity, which tends to be where we invite our, our known legators in June. It, it's on the, the um, birthday of James Cicely Saunders. Um, but then, you know, we're constrained by space. And last year, what we did was we sent out a, a mailing, a specific mailing, which I thought very hard for it to be a kind of um, longer letter than you might write to just any supporter you know, something which gave a bit of meat to what we were doing, because these are people who know and love St. Christopher's really well. And that was really effective, at not, not only at um, reaching people who would probably never have been invited to Founders Day because they don't want to be invited to that sort of event, but also really sort of um, teasing out who are our legators. So, you know, sort of a bit of, a bit of really testing out your database and working out that, you know, somebody phoning up saying, well, you said you sent this letter to me because, um, because I'm on your database as a legator, but I'm not going to leave a gift in my will to you. And, but it, it also enabled some really good conversations and um, sort of engagement. So that's actually something we're gonna keep because we can reach 500 people at a much lower cost than doing, um, than doing a, a sort of physical event. And in fact, when I was preparing for this podcast yesterday with my, um, with my colleague Tracy, we actually planned out the whole of Founders Day for this, uh, for this June um, with a series of events which people can engage with online and something which is also a mailing, um, sort of like picking up an idea somebody shared. I think it might have been you, Victoria, actually, on a previous webinar. Yeah. <laughs> we had a really good idea. session, didn't we, within yes. Merman? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, so we're going to we're going to use that. So you get your own virtual garden party in the 
in your home, but it's kind of about enabling and engaging with people in a different way. And I think that's what last year really taught us at St Christopher's, that we can do that. Absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with that completely. Um, at Save the Children, virtual events was something that we had wanted to bring into the mix for quite a while. And I think the opportunity, um, as you said, that that COVID presented was it, it forced our hand with that. You know, it, it made us bring that um, into reality. Um, and they've, they've gone really well. And, and one of the things that I feel quite strongly about personally with our with our live events is the accessibility angle of them is that people may not want to attend an event in person for whatever reason but they also might not be able to whether it's just the, the geography or whether there's a disability whether for mental health reasons whether there's there's so many reasons why people might not want to come to an in-person event um, that bringing a virtual offering into the mix actually really helps to to demonstrate how how caring we are as a sector as well and and to to just give that that extra option to people we um at save the children as it happened in uh, the end of 2019 uh, we went through a bit of a restructure with our fundraising and marketing department and that came into effect in january 2020 so we had um, the introduction of squads in our uh, marketing side of things so they focused on different areas of our marketing so that was very much kind of landing in January and February and then of course everyone became home-based lots and lots of people were furloughed so that threw a whole new dimension of kind of issues into the mix on top of COVID as well but the thing that it did mean was that because of the new structure we were quite agile we could move really quickly as the news landed as the guidelines were constantly changing um, so we reacted quickly around that um, and that agility also meant that um, the we spotted that the interest in legacies had increased at that time exponentially so it was something that we could really jump on and harness um, we noticed for example that the will writing guides that we offer online on our website uh, went up um, to over 2000 they, they more than doubled last year um, and of course interest in farewell which is the online will writing product that we promote as well uh, that just went through the roof so we knew that it was definitely worth investing into big digital acquisition campaigns uh, which we did for last year um, in the spring and in September uh, one of which replaced the normal kind of September time TV ad that we normally put through. So actually we, you know, we managed to take the situation and, and run with it. So um, had some great results off of that. The sad thing I think for my three equivalents and I around the country was that we had the best plan for, for live events, but we had uh, 24 scheduled in, which was pretty mammoth. Um, and easily the biggest we'd ever taken on. So to pull all of those was just heartbreaking. But yeah, like I said, you know, we we managed to get a Zoom account, which which was revolutionary for Save the Children. And we worked really closely with our colleagues at Save the Children International um, and uh, our other 
equivalents around the world and and manage to kind of harness that and and move ahead with it so yeah we've had some great results i think i must say i think there have been there are two elements to it firstly um i was working with 28 clients when the when covid broke out and three weeks later i was working with one uh and it seemed to come across as a bit of a a road journey really you're driving along in a car and you're on a very nice journey thank you very much and you go around the corner and you see a black tunnel and think oh my god i can't go anywhere you slam the brakes on <clears throat> go into reverse and then you think oh i haven't got my headlights on so you put the, put the headlights on and then you suddenly realize there's an easy way through the tunnel um and so it was kind of very much a big stop and then a start now steve's um experience at the rnli to me is just about perfect it's exactly what donors seem to want um is loads of telephone calls because they're so isolated they can take hours and hours on the phone and it's brilliant the real trouble is any smaller charities is they don't have many people possibly only one who can actually make the telephone calls and that's been some of the biggest barriers i've come across is carrying out those calls so that they can maintain relationships what what i find interesting is the 550 ish um, donors I've spoken to since March 2020, um, there are huge numbers who actually, the older saying, I want at least two hours telephone calls a day not to feel isolated because I can't see anybody. The other thing is that Zoom and Teams and all the other uh, virtual meeting apps are incredibly tiring on their eyes because the video and audio receptors in the brain are separated. Um, and their attention span is incredibly short before they get really tired. Um, so I don't know what the others' experiences are, but the virtual meetings are certainly a lot shorter than the events that you will have planned live um, because they just end up quite grumpy in, in, and, and into what's called Zoom gloom. Um, so I think we have to be quite careful as to how we change all the channels that we're using to make sure we maintain their happiness. But there is no shadow of a doubt. Nobody should have stopped anything in March 2020. All 550 donors say, well, I've got plenty of time at home. And this best thing to do is review my will and see what I'm going to do. And if it's out of date, I'll make a new one. I think where confusion arose was how on earth you witness it. So it was good to see the legal changes quite quickly. Yeah, I think the um, the video witnessing of wills when that came in was was very much welcomed by by the charity sector because it just made it so much more inclusive um for those trying to yeah trying to to think about their estate so um thank you everyone there's some really really good case studies i think from last year so i guess with with that in mind and the, all those learnings that you have from last year when when the current lockdown was announced whilst it wasn't a huge surprise for everyone did you have to completely rethink your legacy plans for the next few weeks or months or or did you already have that sort of contingency in your minds and um, uh, Victoria if I can come to you first on that one oh yeah so um I guess the short answer is not really um we uh we'd already been quite cautious with our plans for 2021 um I don't know whether that's a being a humanitarian charity thing I'm not sure but um, I, I think uh, there was a very definite um, decision quite early on when we were putting our plans together about pushing the live events towards autumn and winter of 2021 to be on the safe side um, I think particularly when you look at the 
the demographic that we work with a lot in legacies as well. Um, you know, safety has to come first. So, so it makes sense that, that we kind of push that back as much as we can for our live events. I think also one of the things that was quite painful for us in a way was um, the realization that the temporary plans and the things we'd put in place to get us through it in 2020 were actually gonna be quite long-term um, as a fixture. So, uh, so now we're looking at those plans and saying, all right, how do we look at refreshing them even before we need to right now? You know, if this is something that we still have to be doing, if this will be the state of play this time next year, how do we keep this fresh? How do we keep it going just like we would with our live events? How do we shake things up? So yeah, as it stands at the moment, we're committed to 10 virtual events throughout 2021 and then eight live events in the autumn and winter. Um, we're really lucky with speakers at Save the Children. So we have so many staff and so many people who are on the ground around the world even now. Um, and also in terms of pledger stewardship and the pledger packs that we send out, that's, uh, that's all being managed by um, uh, my team, my, my equivalents and I um, at home. So we can jump on that more quickly. Um, and then lastly, I suppose around digital engagement, um, our plans haven't changed a huge amount. We're still uh, going to be looking at um, our work with WillAid and Fairwill and download, downloading uh, will writing guides from our website and, and trying to work with those individuals and, and kind of maximize that support as much as we can. say at, at the RNLI much is similar in terms of not too much has changed largely kind of expected and, and as well with our audience we're kind of probably uh, you know not going to be the trendsetters of being the first out there to be doing in-person events and, and things like that our audience will tend to probably be a little bit more cautious for that and so we're, we have that in mind as well um that said we're, we're trying to pull some of our activity forward so we're a growing team so we're, we're going to be hiring more regional legacy engagement managers this year um to, to expedite things um but I, i'd say the biggest shift in moving into january was in internally whilst our supporter facing work hasn't really changed much i think the the way that we work as a team has has changed um as you know if, if you're going out and making lots of phone calls to, to supporters, you need to be in a good mood to be doing that. And I think it's certainly something that we're aware of that, you know, tiring of, of lockdown ourselves and the, the grumpiness that can come with that. Um, being aware that if you carry that grumpiness in, into a, uh, you know, a day of calling supporters that cannot have as, um, as stronger impact. And so we've got our internal campaign one crew one you um about all about sort of personal welfare and and, and things like that and, and a, 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 as simple as you know come along to our tuesday team calls and we'll all be in fancy dress on on our our team's calls so you know whether it's silly things like that or, or larger campaigns um internally about welfare we're getting it right within ourselves so that the energy that we're projecting onto our supporters be it in what we're saying, how we're sounding or what we're writing is as best as it can be as well. 
um, because reflecting back on the calls that we did last year, one of the hardest bits was, you know, you, you do a month of going through a similar conversation about lockdown and how it's difficult and how you, know, you can't do the same things you want. That has a, a, an impact on the people making those calls. So, yeah, look after ourselves to allow us to look after our supporters as best we can. And, and not much is changed, but it's just that that focus on welfare, I feel, is really important at, at this time. Um, just picking up uh, that comment, Steve, I think that's a really good point about um, having, you know, fundraising requires a lot of positive energy, doesn't it? That's in, in every mm. level of it. And so um, the, the kind of protection of the team and the kind of ethos of the team is really important. And I suppose from our point of view at St Christopher's, we're kind of also right in the heart of the action of a pandemic. So we've got increased numbers of patients to look after. Um, people across the hospice are feeling this, the strain of working kind of at top level um, on the clinical side. Um, but I think that that's also meant that we've had some amazing kind of uh, positive feedback from the services that we're delivering, which, which I think really is such a big motivator for, for fundraising teams, uh, whatever your discipline is. Um, I was just thinking uh, to on this current question, the current lockdown, and I guess what we thought would happen this year is that we'd be looking at being able to bring in small groups of people again. And that we, we like Victoria and Steve said, we were sort of like fairly cautious about what we were going to be able to do. Um, with the loss of our big fundraising events and, and those now being, any of those that we planned were planned around being COVID friendly, but we miss that opportunity to get people together and have that interaction that you have when you have a, a, a big event like a fun walk or a, um, you know, or our Remembering With event in December, which had to be delivered online rather than as a real event. And it's those little, little opportunities, the drip drip messaging. I guess the other thing that we had to address um, quite quickly this year is, for example, we have, um, I think it's now 15 shops across the area. And that's a really important marketing channel for us, the legacies. And that's looking like those won't open again for at least until the early spring. So who knows? Um, so that, that's something that we have to address that we cannot, um, we cannot contact our supporters in the same way that we would normally like have a leaflet in a shop or a, we can have posters in the shops because you know there are windows but then of course there are no there aren't so many people walking around the high streets as there were so so one of the things that that's um led to is thinking about um uh you know our rolling out our legacy campaign for this early part of this year which is leading up to will week in march and doing quite a lot of good stuff on social um and trying to make that work for us which is you know, quite new to us, uh, doing a lot of really good legacy marketing through social channels. So everybody's spending another year learning new things, I think, is uh, what it's looking like. I think that there are two elements that I've witnessed massive changes in. One is the tone of voice, uh, because I think the tone of voice has to change entirely to make sure we keep people happy. The other thing that I've witnessed, which has been an absolute joy, um, even though the, the, at the start I thought it was quite negative, is that all the non-fundraising staff 
became very anti-legacies during COVID because they thought it was an inappropriate subject to talk about. Um, and therefore, what I've witnessed is the number of communication teams and service providing teams, and especially in hospices, where you have to give them the evidence as well as the confidence um, and inspiration to talk more positively about legacies, because they are so uncertain as to how people will react that they become far more sensitive. So um, I, I think probably for the first time in 30 years, I found myself training more non-fundraisers who are staff members, than fundraisers, because the fundraisers will get on with it um, if they can and they're not furloughed, uh, and that's been a major problem. It's instilling the confidence uh, in the non-fundraising staff that actually, during COVID, legacies are fine. Actually, they're the biggest opportunity you have, so don't waste them. That's a really good point, Richard, about, yeah, trying to, to get that internal education and confidence, as you say, particularly amongst those who are less comfortable and yet less used to having those conversations like, like fundraisers and, and legacy teams are. Um, that actually goes on very nicely onto my next question, which was considering how rapidly the situation's changing, how would you recommend or how have you adapted your messaging to make it more appropriate? And, and Richard, I was gonna come to you and ask if there was any insights you had from supporters that you'd spoken to around the, the tone of voice, as you mentioned? It, 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 it's very different for each causal area. It's, it's quite strange because um, if you're an alumni of a university, they tend to just say, well, just get on with it. It doesn't affect me. I mean, I'm just going to get on with it. You know, if I want to leave a legacy, I will. And if I won't, I won't. Um, but the last three charities I've done have been quite Christian-based charities, where, in fact, that older demographic is far more sensitive to the tone of voice. Um, and they just want a really nice, slow conversation. So it might be as honest as open, but the whole conversation takes a lot longer than it does uh, with a younger baby boomer who might be involved with an art gallery or a museum or a university where the tone of voice has to be more peer-to-peer, -peer, really. That's all I'm going to say at the moment. I'll let the others oh. speak. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to jump in here because... Uh... I, I, th I, th I think one of my main thoughts about this is that legacy marketing and talking about legacies is not a short-term thing. So however much um, the pandemic has changed how we think about the world, actually good legacy marketing probably is not going to have changed that much. And we were in a very fortunate position last year um, where we'd already started the process of really kind of um, revamping the way we talked about legacies at the hospice. And we'd done all our focus groups, which was re really fortunate. And we were able to then, um, you know, doing it on a, in, in a virtual way, um, create a really good uh, campaign for the hospice and the way we're talking about it. So, and, and the intention with that was always that it, this was going to be something which would last at least five years. We weren't going to be reinventing those messages every, every year. We weren't going to have to kind of go back to them. Um, and so this year we're in a, a, a really good position where we've got all of those, all of that messaging and that work done. And we're, and, and it's, and it's feeling really comfortable actually. But I think one thing that I wanted to also mention is that actually last year's um, virtual working enabled us to 
get some legacy messaging internally and engage internally in a way that we would never have been able to do before. So everybody being on a weekly Wednesday learning forum, I was able to launch that legacy campaign to, you know, to sort of 50 people and it was recorded and spread further. And so those kind of opportunities were, were really good for us. And I think this going into this rapidly changing situation, yes, it is changing rapidly and the sort of day-to-day -day messaging changes, but I think the overarching message actually needs to stand the test of time anyway. Absolutely, I'd, I'd agree with that completely. And I think internally for us at Save the Children, um, being such a huge organization, internal messaging can be quite challenging. And um, I really agree with what you said there, Rachel, about the, the virtual um, element of, of our work now it created such a huge opportunity for us to to be able to speak to our colleagues um, in one big virtual space. We really ran with Remember Charity Week internally last year, um, had some massive successes like we've never had before internally, um, and even managed to do a staff survey and capture some of our staff who had left gifts in their wheels and start conversations along those lines, which was great. Um, and uh, we held a lunchtime talk, which um, loads of colleagues, over 100 colleagues came along to, to hear Claire Routley speak um, about the psychology behind gifts in wills. So that was, it put a different spin on things rather than us just standing there saying, please talk about gifts in wills, they're really great. <laughs> and throwing lots of facts and figures at people. It made it real, it made it personal because suddenly everyone is facing their mortality and, and, and contemplating that in, in a way that, that they haven't before. Um, and particularly among some of our younger workforce, it, you know, it was a, there were so many questions about how to write wills and uh, things specifically around using Farewell Online and their new telephone will writing service and um, all sorts of things around that. So, so that opened up some great opportunities um, I think also around the tone of voice for us at Save the Children, it's about trying to make things current and relevant, particularly within our virtual events. So, for example, uh, in February, we've got our CEO joining us as our main speaker, um, Kevin Watkins, and and he'll be talking about a little bit of reflection on 2020, but but primarily the the drive that we have to move forward globally in 2021 and and kind of looking forward into into things like that so and that will prompt questions from our supporters so we're really trying to engage them quite actively in that way and in a way that we've never been able to before um you know for for supporters to be able to just have a chat face to face with a ceo is is quite rare so so it's been brilliant having that virtual opportunity that we can tie things like that together yeah and, and I think from my point of view of the RNI I'd agree with everything that has been said there which is all nice we're all aligned with, with what we're thinking Richard your point around yeah often needing to have more conversations with people uh, less familiar with legacy fundraising at the moment I think it's something that we've found a lot of the RNI um, equally the, the points around 
the, the legacy relationships are long you know sometimes we talk about these less sort of supported journeys but they're decade long relationships decades um in some cases and so actually you know in, in the course of their connection with the charity um and by the way you know at the point at which they're known to us as legacy people they've probably you know been with the charity for quite a long time before that as well so this is a um uh a challenge but it doesn't i think it shouldn't redefine their relationship with the with the charity they still need to feel loved they still need to see the scale of ambition from the charity they still need to have the the confirmation that they're supporting a, a um that their money will be spent wisely and and used well uh, that all still needs to be demonstrated and they need to yeah feel the love and in, in doing so um so that that all still applies um but I think, yeah, the, the biggest thing is just is still still continuing to do that and not have the, the kind of the radio silence. Um, I think it, it's, uh, yeah, it, that's all important. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've often heard is that is that supporters still want to hear from from their favourite charities, from their favourite causes, and they want to hear what you're still doing because it's important to them and, and it's, that's not going to change. I think obviously as fundraisers, we have to be very sensitive around how we approach the legacy message, but um, but also internally, I think there's that huge opportunity of you've got a captive audience to, and that's about embracing that opportunity to reach internal teams in a different way, which, which Vix, as you said, has been enormously successful for you guys. And, and that's, in, in educating your internal teams that will then help with your legacy messaging externally as well. Um, so on, on to the last question, which um, what, would you, what would you say to any charities who are questioning or thinking about pausing or, or even radically changing their, their legacy comms plans um, for the upcoming weeks and months? Um, Rachel, if I can come to you first. Oh, well, when I was thinking about this question yesterday, my comment that I wrote down was, why would you do that? <laughs> um, I've, I think absolutely not, but not pause completely, but yes, be reflective, think about responding to the moment. So, so um, anticipating how people might feel right now. I think more than ever, I've noticed um, the kind of reaction going into this month uh, lots of people making phone calls saying I've got to sort out my will and so there's a there's a very heightened awareness I think um, people are less head in the sand about the pandemic than they were in the first lockdown so I think what was happening in the first lockdown was people kind of going oh my god this is too big to get my head around and um, and I can't talk about death and dying I think we've got very used as a society to talking about loss death and dying this year and um, and so people are being quite pragmatic this month. Um, having said that, they also, you know, they're not gonna be laughing about making a will um, because, because it feels very, this, this particular period feels much harder for people. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, attrition has gone on. People are tired and exhausted and, and feeling like maybe you know, there's not so much to look forward to, but definitely 
think about your legacy marketing messages uh, and your legacy activities and, and find the ones that are appropriate for this time and then be adaptable. I think that it's much easier in a small charity to be flexible and to react to what happens in this three months might be different from the next three months. Um, so that's something that I, I know is an advantage in a smaller environment, but I, I think there are ways that we can all do that. Yeah, I, 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 you got to do it. It's, it's got to, you've got to keep going. It is the, the simple thing. Um, I, I kind of, you know, people look to write or update their wills at times when there's change in their life or where they're considering their mortality and you know if, if now isn't that i don't know when when will be for for a lot of people and and so people are asking the question people are looking for are thinking about these things and charities have to be there to answer the call and to provide a, a service that does that and if your charity doesn't another charity will a kind of cautionary tale so in my job i look after a lot of high level pledges um and, and often people who support three to five different charities and i know people who because they've told it they've told me they've not told me which charities but you know they they have heard nothing from some charities and had some from some charities and they've written in cases a million pounds plus out of their will for certain charities based on the communication that they've received so you know this is real it, it happens and, and uh, you know and I know that it, it's harder for certain you know depending on the resource that you have available but there is and whilst you know whilst the money might not arrive for, for years to come uh, there is money being gained and lost through the the communication that people are having um, so yeah do it <laughs> and also it's worth mentioning you know as in the legacy world often uh, I, I think supporters will be comparing charities against each other when looking at their legacies because often it's done in conjunction with you know they're, they're doing it at the same time somebody writes their will put five charities in and they will quite clearly see those five charities and their responses and how much love they they give to those supporters directly next to each other um if, if if you know if if you're not showing the love to those supporters that that will right or wrongly um will have an impact on them um so yeah don't stop is my short answer <laughs> the real trouble is that the command to pause doesn't come from the legacy fundraisers it often comes from really stupid leadership teams who have a stupid <laughs> short-termism view that let's stop legacies we can't do it and we need money now so legacies can take that back room for a start and that drives me absolutely bonkers because it is short-termism which is one of the biggest barriers to really good legacy fundraising especially in in lockdown um now I've spent a lot of time presenting to boards recently to give them the evidence that this is the best time, not the worst time, to begin investing in legacies. Um, and it's those leaders who panic, um, and they know that most of the legacy income will come after they've retired as trustees, and they really don't care a hoot. 
And it drives me mad and will continue to do so until I actually change the world, which I never will. But it is one of the biggest barriers. It's not the legacy fundraisers who are yearning to unleash themselves and get into the field. It is the blasted leaders of the charities. I think that's where internal messaging is so, so important, not just to your peers across the teams, but actually sitting your trustees down and your senior leadership teams and and saying you know here's the evidence forwarding things on you know when you get those amazing emails from the likes of remember a charity that say do you know this piece of legacy research has come out that says this forward it on (laughs) send it upwards and I think you know at the end of the day if if charities were based everything on the risk of upsetting some people we wouldn't do anything we you know we would take no risks and we do tend to be quite a risk averse sector for obvious reasons but in a time like this particularly with legacies um, I really like that phrase Richard of short-termism you know if when we look at the long-term nature of what we're doing, what we do now, we reap the rewards for in 10 more years time. So if we do nothing now, then, you know, in 10, 20 years time, the people that are doing our jobs then will look back and go, thanks guys, (laughs) you had an amazing opportunity (laughs) and you you were too frightened. Um, And it's backing things up. If people have complaints, if they want to talk things through, we can be ready for that. We need to be ready to justify our decisions to supporters and, you know, to, to talk about the research and point people in the right direction. And we won't please everyone all of the time, but if the difference between taking a risk and not taking a risk means an average of, let's say, a, a 30 grand legacy, then it, is it a, with, a risk that's that's worth taking I, I really think it is so I've, I've had such fun with board members because I think I've presented to seven boards since the beginning of December um, and it's such fun because I, I can say what I like um, and I as long as I believe in it um, but I say right how many of you are going to leave a legacy now because if you don't as a board who on earth will believe in the future of your charity if you don't so damn well get on with it and tell your story because if you don't this charity will be in trouble because legacies are the vaccine um, that actually help you have long-term financial health. Mm. And I, I can be as direct as I like. If I get the sack, I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the trustees are usually the last lot I meet. But the reaction has been stunningly positive. Yeah. And I guess the, the, the one thing I suppose I would add onto that is that in reality, there are going to be some teams that just do not have that support. Um, and, and it doesn't matter how many research documents they forward on or how many conversations they have or how many times they get Richard in to talk about legacies to their trustees. The reality is that some organizations will just say no, they'll just go with the risk. So I suppose to those people, I would say, you know, if, if nothing else, then do what you can do. Pick up the phone to the pledges that you have got and keep those relationships going. Get some anecdotal evidence that these people want to be having these conversations and work on your internal awareness. You know, for every person that you get on board within your charity, that's another person that's going to be going to senior leadership and trustees and saying, 
do you realize that in 10, 20 years time, we're going to have a whole load of money that doesn't come in because of what we're not doing right now. So I think, you know, it's, it's important for fundraisers to try and be positive right now and to reflect that out. As you were saying, Steve, that, you know, we, we need to put that brave face on things, not just for our supporters, but internally as well. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think, I think for me, when you look at the amount you have to spend on getting legacy messages out within an organization in as your return on investment, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? You know, we're kind of talking 0.02% <laughs> and um, for most charities. So it is the best investment that you can make in terms of your long-term health, financial health for the charity and um, well-being for the charity as well. And, and people do, I think one of the things I've, I've noticed recently, we had a lovely um, legacy came in this week from somebody who, it's the, the, the sister of a, of a patient was in touch with us. And um, she sent the most heartwarming um, thank you alongside this gift, and which I circulated to everybody in the hospice across the clinical team. And you know what, the reaction to that was, that's made that's made my week you know it was people people who don't always hear the feedback and getting that feedback and and you know sort of no matter what I do actually it's what they do that makes people leave a gift in their will to to St Christopher's so uh, that was a, it was a really special moment actually that's a lovely story um I think I think the, the biggest thing that I'm getting from you guys is 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 hope and positivity and and I think something that that we've obviously seen from from the last 12 months is that legacies have have been a lifeline for charities to continue their work and continue their frontline services and and that that's all thanks to to the legacy marketing that happened years ago um so I think it's 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 about looking looking ahead and and I think sharing that story with supporters about how it's it's looking after after the future um, and and also I think one thing that uh, someone once said to me I think it was on a previous podcast actually that that legacies are one of the one of the the loveliest things that someone can do because it might be it might not be possible for for a supporter to give as much as they would like to at the moment because of, of financial issues or all their current circumstances but leaving a legacy is a way of them being able to give a sizable gift that they would not perhaps be able to do so in their in their normal day say life and it's a way of of doing that in the future and it's 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 a wonderful thing to do um so yeah I think I think yeah all very very positive um advice everyone's saying yeah do it if you can and if not then then focus on on what you can do I think your point about internal awareness Vix was um was yeah um was spot on um that comes to the end of our questions um so thank you all so much for your time and sharing your experiences um I think there's been some really valuable advice and learnings and yeah positivity which we all need at the moment um so I hope this has been useful for people listening um if anyone has any questions about anything we've spoken about please email us at info at rememberacharity.org.uk and I can pass your questions on to our lovely guests. And um, thank you everyone for listening. 
And we do have some great podcasts and websites, websites, webinars <laughs> lined up. Um, but as always, if there are any specific topics you want us to cover in the future, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please do get in touch. And we will say thank you, take care, and goodbye. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Bye. See you, folks. <laughs>